Welcome to Sex Ed with DB. I'm your host, DB. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the podcast. If you love and support the work that we do, head to www.sexedwithdb.com and buy some of our hot new merch. Follow us on Instagram at sexedwithdbpodcast. And if you want to advertise with us, shoot us an email at sexedwithdb at gmail.com. Next on the podcast today, we are talking about intersex experiences and rights with Hans Lindahl, Saifa Wall, and Pigeon Pagonis. Hans is an artist, writer, and YouTuber. They currently serve as communications director for Interact, advocates for intersex youth. Saifa is an intersex activist and public health researcher. He is co-founder of the Intersex Justice Project, or IJP, a project whose mission is to end intersex surgery. Pigeon has slowly and oftentimes not so quietly risen to visibility in Chicago as not only an activist on behalf of intersex people, but also as a fighter for the recognition of marginalized others in general. Whether advancing youth advocacy with Interact or appearing on the cover of National Geographic Gender Revolution Special Issue, Pigeon has staked out a place at the fore of debates on intersexuality and otherness. Let's welcome all of our amazing guests. What better way to say I love you than, I want an exact replica of your penis or vulva. Say hi to Clona Willy. Clona Willy and Clona Pussy are DIY molding kits that allow anyone to make an exact replica of a penis or vulva at home into a high quality sex toy or memento. Check them out at www.clonawilly.com and use promo code SEXED20 for 20% off your purchase. Follow them on Instagram at clonawillykit. Bring some queer, fat, feminist art into your home or into your business. Andrea Forgotch is an artist that creates pieces that are queer, inclusive, body positive, and self-loving. With her art, you'll be sure to make a statement wherever you need it. Go visit andreaforgotch.com, that's Andrea, F-O-R-G-A-C-S.com to commission your own piece, or download one of her illustrations in the shop. Follow her on Instagram, at Andrea Forgotch. Sex Ed with DB is supported by FemFun. FemFun empowers all to take control of their pleasure and sexuality by putting the most powerful products on the market into your hands. Electrify your intimate life with 15% off your first purchase. Go to www.femfun.com and enter promo code SEXEDWITHDB at checkout. That's www.femmefunn.com. Follow them on IG, at FemFun. We'll just go ahead and get started. We can kind of do like a round robin style, whoever wants to kind of go first. Um, we can do names, pronouns, and how you each identify. Hello, my name is Pigeon. I use all pronouns, but I prefer they, them, and I am an intersex, non-binary person. Hello. Nice to meet you all. Amazing. Thank you. Um, I'll go next. Um, hi, my name is Saifa. Uh, the pronouns I use are he and him. Um, I also identify as intersex. And lately, um, I've been saying that I am both a hoe and a housewife. <laughs> Incredible. Thank you so much, Saifa. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that. Hi, I'm Hans. Pronouns wise, I use she or they. And I haven't really found any words yet that I like to describe my gender. Um, so I usually just say intersex person. Um, that's where I'm at right now. Awesome. Thank you all so much for introducing yourselves. So excited to have you on our intersex episode. Um, let's just go in the same order. And if y'all could tell us about your organizations you work for um, and maybe like the positions that you have and hold um, and how folks can find them on social media. Um, so this is Pigeon. Saifa and I are part of an organization that we co-founded called Intersex Justice Project. And you can find us at Intersex Justice Project on Instagram and intersexjusticeproject.org on the websites and Intersex Justice on Twitter. And I'll let Saifa um, kind of talk about what we do and who we are. Awesome. Because he's so good at that. Aw, thanks, bitch. <laughs> you um, yeah, uh, IJP uh, was co-founded by me, Pigeon, and a third person, Lionel Stephanie Long, um, longtime intersex pioneer. Um, and we founded um, IJP because we really wanted to sort of build the leadership capacity of intersex people of color uh, to affect change. Um, and so a lot of our work has been direct action against um, uh Against Lurie Children's Hospital, um, we've done actions in both uh, Chicago and New York um, with the emphasis that we want to end intersex surgery. Um, so if you're on social media, you can find a lot of the work um, that we've been doing under the hashtag end intersex surgery. So that's what we do. Incredible. Thank you. Yeah, and this is Hans. I right now work for an organization called Interact Advocates for Intersex Youth. I'm the communications director over there. And Pigeon and Zypha both um, had worked for Interact previously. So intersex community is pretty small. We're starting to get some more awesome organizations coming up and doing good work. Over at Interact, we are a law and policy organization. So we're mostly working within those systems to try and give intersex people their own choices about their bodies. On social, our organization is interact underscore ADV. And I'm also an independent content creator, and my handle on things is hi, hello, Hans. Awesome. Cool. Thank you so much for those introductions. Uh, first of all, thank you all for your incredible advocacy and work. It's super important. Um, and I definitely wanted to have you all on the podcast to not only um, talk about it, but to say thank you and to really just. Uh, share how much I admire what you're doing. Um, so much appreciate it. Um, okay, so the next question that we have is, uh, what does it mean to be intersex? Can you kind of, let's back it up a little bit and get a little bit of a background, um, some definitions, maybe how many folks out there uh, today potentially identify as intersex and, and kind of what's going on in the current landscape. So maybe we can start with you, Pigeon. Um, and being intersex means to be the most amazing, magical, best type of human being in the whole hey. world. It is the most biological, magical <laughs> way of existing on this current earth and planet in this world. We are the best. And a little bit <laughs> about what makes us the best is that we are the best of all worlds when it comes to biological sex. 
we are not constrained or confined to the binaries of just being male or female. We encompass all of that and also something new at the same time. So yeah, being intersex is it's just a way of being, it's just a way of being. It's a way that people are born and it's a way that people have been born since the beginning of time. Um, and it's just kind of just living outside of the binary not in terms of your gender, but in terms of your sex. And it's just the way that some of us have been born and it's perfectly natural. It's perfectly healthy. It's perfectly normal. And um, unfortunately, what's not natural and normal and healthy is the ways that the medical establishment has chosen to pathologize us. So I will stop there and let and pass it off to Saifa. Yeah. Um, so according, that was a very beautiful definition, Pijon. Um <laughs> So according to the United Nations, uh, intersex is defined as sex characteristics or traits um, that include hormonal, gonadochromosomal, uh, that are atypical for males and females. Um, so it's estimated that intersex makes up 1.7% of the population. But the thing is, like, kind of like what Pigeon was saying, like, we just don't know, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we just don't know who's intersex and who's not. Um, I think so much of like how we've defined intersex um, is based on how people appear at birth. Um, and usually the people who appear um, with some kind of atypicality or who appear different at birth are usually harmed by the medical establishment. Um, so we don't know. Um, I think people, as there's more education, as more gets kind of put out there, more and more people are finding out, oh, shit, I might be intersex, right? Mm -hmm. um, because I think there are a lot of, like, for example, I was talking with someone recently um, who for a long time thought that she had POS, PCOS, which is polycystic ovarian syndrome, and then she recently found out that she actually had ovotestes, right, mm -hmm. um, which is the intersex trait um, that is ovotesticular syndrome. So you just never know. So that number is in flux, um, it could change and it can actually, I think there might be more intersex people than you think. Right. Can I also, can I jump in real quick and just say Please. something? Um, you know, Saifa, when you said the UN defines it as um, what you said, you know, the definition, mm -hmm. I, I use that definition all the time and I always say the UN defines it as, and I was just thinking that like the UN actually doesn't really define anything like that all came, that definition was sourced from intersex activists Back. Coming, coming together for years and years and years and forcing the UN to pay attention to us. But I think it's interesting that as a, um, a group that's so marginalized, a group of people mm -hmm. who are so marginalized, we always have to like try to gain legitimacy by saying the UN says, right. because it's like, we understand that people don't even believe we have, a, we exist, or if they do believe we exist, they don't think we have a right to exist. Mm. So we always have to evoke like this world superpower, not superpower, mm. but like this world organization to try to give us legitimacy. But it's like, honestly, we've been in those rooms where we've come up with that definition ourselves. Right. And now, and yet it's on the UN website and it's become like the UN's definition, but it's like, no, like we came up with that definition. Right. Yo, those so, are so I'm just going to now moving forward when I give presentations, I'm going to start saying, the, the UN definition that they took from us is, and um, yeah, so sorry, I just wanted to, I just, that just came to me right no, now. No, that's you were a saying super that. important clarification. I really, really appreciate that. 
Um, amazing. Saifa, did you have anything to say on that, or should we hand it, hand it off to Hans? You mean Hans? Oh. No, I think that's, I think Pigeon really brings up a good point, you know? Like, I just feel like so much of the work, so much of the mental energy, so much of the, um, I think it's really easy for people's work, especially more marginalized folks, for their work to be co-opted. Um, and so, yeah, I just want to really affirm what Pigeon said. I think that's such an excellent point. Incredible. And how about you, Hans? Any any comments or thoughts? Yeah, I echo all of that. I'm constantly amazed and impressed by intersex people all day, every day. <laughs> but I think that's true. In, in our work, there is definitely, it, it's easy to fall into having to appeal to authority a lot because mm -hmm. often those are the people that are given the power to make very deci serious decisions about our bodies, sometimes for us. Um, yeah. But the way that I tend to break it down is when you're intersex, you're born with some differences in your reproductive or sex anatomy compared to the usual two ways that bodies develop. So that could be genitalia, chromosomes, all kinds of different combinations that are possible. I like to frame it as intersex people are just very creative. We're, we're not very good at following directions. We like to kind of do things <laughs> uh, our, our own way. Right. I love, I love it. That. I love how you're always evolving definitions of intersex, and I'm always learning from you, Hans, on Twitter and in real life. I mean, this we're we get nitpicky about it. I mean, it's our <laughs> job to spend like an hour talking about a single word and what that means. <laughs> yeah. and... <laughs> mm, facts. That is beautiful. Thank you all so much. Um, so now I'd love to chat about each of your personal experiences, um, whatever you're comfortable sharing about what it was like to grow up intersex in a world that wasn't set up for validating intersex bodies and experiences. Um, what was that like? And um, what were the triumphs and tribulations? Um, and maybe when did you learn that you were intersex? I just want to say something so you guys can remind me later to bring this up if we have time. Can you guys remind me about the person on Twitter who said something about coronavirus and urologists i just want to bring that up later so please remind me i'll write it down thank you it's yes. not about it's not helpful right now but if we ever talk about coronavirus um which i have a lot to say about intersex and coronavirus but anyways um so what it was like growing up intersex trials and tribulations you know it's hard for me to tease out what trials and tribulations were from being intersex and what were from just, like, other influences and factors of my life mm -hmm. and growing up. But I guess when I look specifically at being intersex, one of the things that stands out the most is fear mm. um, and secrecy. And those are kind of linked. So the fear of always being found out Um or discovered, I guess. And so, and then having to live in secrecy because of that, and then always having the fear that that secret is going to come out. And I know, like, I'm sure people listening know what it's like to have a, a secret that you feel is really horrible that you don't want other people to find out. And I hope those people listening, the people listening have the experience of like one day finally sharing that secret, thinking it's so horrible and thinking people are not going to like be able to love you and see you for who you are but yet they after you tell them that secret they still do and that immense relief of weight off your chest like I hope others can understand that because I think I think that's something that's relatable for people intersex or not because when I finally came out well 
first I had to find out I was intersex, but then when I came out as intersex, or I don't really want to use that terminology, but once I started um, speaking publicly and letting people know that I was intersex, like once I moved away from that shame and trying to hide it, it was a really like wonderful experience um, to see that people would still love me and respect me and like, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but the hallmark of growing up was that fear and that secrecy. It was, it was crushing. It was crushing for over 20 years. Um, and what's funny is I didn't even know I was intersex until I was 19 years old <laughs> or 20, but what I had to keep secret before that was other things. So the doctors told me that I was born with cancer in my ovaries. So let me back up again and say they assigned me female at birth. And so growing up as a little girl, they then told me, oh, by the way, you had cancer in your ovaries and we saved your life by removing your ovaries. But this is why you can't, you won't be able to have biological children or get a period when you're older. So and they said it's best not to really tell anybody that truth about yourself because you don't want kids at school spreading rumors. And then when I hit puberty age, they put me on um, uh, hormone replacement therapy. Mm-hmm. And then they told me, you're going on hormone replacement therapy because we took your ovaries out to save your life when you were a baby. And this will help you go through puberty. And also don't tell anybody about these pills because again, you don't want people (laughs) talking about rumors, having rumors about you. And also, you know, this is personal private medical information. It's no one's business, but your own Mm. and your future husband one day. So, So that was like, so that was really like the hallmark of my childhood was, was I have to keep so many things secret. Um, and like this constant fear of being found out. Um, So I would say like that was the hardest thing for me before I even knew I was intersex because I was 19 when I found out. So I was basically legally an adult then. But in my childhood, the trials and tribulations was just like never being told the truth about who I was, about my body, about what actually happened to me. I did not have cancer in my ovaries. I was born with undescended testes and I was castrated when I was one. healthy testes, you know, that were not cancerous. And I was castrated. And when I was four, they did a clitorectomy on me because they thought as a young, as an assigned girl, my clitoris was too large to be quote unquote normal. So they removed my clitoris and they didn't tell me that at all. And then when I was 11, they also did another surgery on me saying that another lie saying that they were going to do a bladder surgery and was it bladder and urethra reconstruction surgery? And what I found out from my medical records later on when I was 19 was that they actually did a vaginoplasty. They didn't do anything to my bladder or anything like that. Um, so that was, I guess, recovering from surgeries um, and being lied to and having to keep being told to keep secrets about lies that weren't even true. So like I was being told to keep secrets about things that weren't even true, which mm-hmm. is so like multi-layered right. and being scared. People are going to find out these things that weren't even true <laughs> in the first place. So, and then, you know, hitting 19 and kind of getting your medical, re- getting my medical records in a really weird circumstance. But, um, and then finding out like, Whoa, everything I was keeping secret <laughs> wasn't even true. Yeah. Um, and then having to find out the truth and kind of going through the the downward spiral of what it is to like for me what it was to to be 19 years old think you're a young um 
adult woman going into college, thinking you're straight, a heterosexual woman with a boyfriend, and going to an all-girls Catholic high school, and then getting your medical records when you're 19 and seeing that your medical records define you as XY chromosome, male, pseudo-hermaphrodite, with this weird thing called androgen insensitivity syndrome. And so that was then a lot to digest and handle as a 19-year-old who grew up believing they were a woman with cancerous ovaries as a child Mm -hmm. who was saved by their doctors. In actuality, finding out all in like 10 minutes of reading my medical records that I wasn't saved by them. I was actually harmed by them multiple times through three different surgeries that were completely medically unnecessary and left me scarred and um yeah left me scarred and and uh and yeah so I think that that's what it was like for me growing up as intersex um those are like some of the trials and tribulations that I have um experienced Thank you so much for for sharing your story and You're welcome. I'm super sorry that that happened to you and people should not go through that especially with supposedly trusted medical care providers yes, and people who are right? supposed to have your best interest when it comes to not only physical, but mental, emotional, all of the capacities. So super sorry that happened to you. And I'm really appreciative of you being here today and sharing your story. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I'll jump in. Um, so I was born, I'm probably the old, I'm the oldest one on this podcast. I'm catching up. up. Uh, Oh yeah, that's true, bitch. Um, (laughs) So I was born with a trait um, known as androgen sensitivity syndrome, um, which is kind of like, it's about the body's level of responsiveness to testosterone. Um, So I have a partial response. Um, And I'm one of seven people in my family who has the same intersex trait. But I think the impact of shame and stigma is that people didn't talk about it. Mm. So there were people in my family living with the same variation and we all got the same thing, right? That we're, we just had this thing that's wrong with us, but we were corrected and not to tell anyone about it. It's your Mm. personal business. Um, So we didn't (laughs) talk about it. And I think to be honest, a lot of people in my family don't know how to talk about it. Right. But it's one of those things where people were impacted, but they don't have the words to describe the ways in which they were impacted. Um, and so I think for me, um, I think I was, for a long time, you know, I had um, undescended testes as well. And I was a happy kid. I didn't have any genital surgery. Um, I had my testes until I was 13. Um, and they told my mom that because I too was assigned female at birth, that, you know, these undescended testes were not testes, but they were gonads and they were cancerous and they had to be removed. And given the history of cancer in my mom's family, she consented to the surgery. Um, and they didn't, 
it wasn't an informed, a thorough informed consent process. Mm -hmm. They didn't tell her that I would be dependent on external hormones for the rest of my life. They didn't tell her that my testes were actually not cancerous um, and that I could have developed normally. Um, And I would have looked different. And I was looking different. Like I was starting to masculinize and I didn't have an issue with it, you know, but because I was assigned female at birth, they didn't want me to look like a boy. And which is why they did this surgery that was not necessary, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and so for me, the biggest, I think, you know, it, it came in waves, right? Like I think it was in college discovering um, that the characteristics of androgen sensitivity syndrome, uh, which was, previously referred to as testicular feminization syndrome, finding out about that. And then I think reading the book as nature made him, um, which was John, um, which is by John Colapinto about the story of David Reimer and reading about Dr. Earhart, Dr. Anka Earhart, who was my therapist as a child um, and who helped craft the protocols for how intersex children would be harmed like Mm -hmm. her and Dr. Money you know? Um, and I think it was like getting my medical records at 25 and feeling so betrayed and so hurt, you know? Um, and being community of trans guys in the Bay area and everyone's like taking tea and feeling good. And I'm taking tea and I'm like having all these adverse reactions and not having the same changes as my brothers, you know? Um, I just feel so robbed. You know, Mm -hmm. I just feel robbed and I feel betrayed. Um, But one of the things I did do, which made me feel good, just a small blow, um, (laughs) is that I sent Dr. Earhart, um, who's now at Columbia University um, in New York City. Um, She's been there for years. Um, I sent her an email and I was just like, you didn't win. You know, she totally lied to me, you know, while I was. Um, under her care, she was like, oh, you had these small ovaries and this underdeveloped uterus. And she lied. And I was like, they were all lies. And what you've done to intersex people is horrendous. Mm. You know? And like, you tried to ruin my life, but you didn't win, you know? Um, and so, you know, I mean, I think I've definitely had small victories. And I think the more and more people come out and share their stories, the more they find other intersex people, like, I know it may not be in my lifetime, but I know one day we'll be victorious. And I think in some ways we already are. Oh my God, that hit straight in my chest. Um, Thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, Really, really like impressed and admire the fact that you emailed this person. I was like, Hey, um, that was fucking awful. And you need to know how awful that was. Um, And yeah, thank you so much for being vulnerable and, and sharing um, a piece of you. Thank you. And Hans, we'll hand it off to you when you're ready. Sure. So is the question, what was it like for you to grow up intersex? Yeah, that's the question. Confusing. <laughs> So I I think it was confusing to see that so many milestones were so gendered and so tied to body parts. Mm. Um, And I'll maybe back up and frame this a little bit. So the way that I I don't know how 
much folks understand generally like kind of sex development and how that works. Um, but one of the ways that I like to explain it is there's sort of two different paths, right? Um, and the path that starts with XY chromosomes typically has a checklist of steps, right? Like XY chromosomes, develop testes, descend the testes, um, start making testosterone, like clitoris then grows into what becomes a penis, like that tissue becomes larger, right? So there's sort of like that series of steps when you're developing along that path. Mm -hmm. But a lot of intersex people who are chromosomally XY, what happens is you reach a certain step on that path, but then something else happens. Your body decides to, you know, switch it up. And then you kind of beeline for developing traits on the other path. So I, for example, got as far as XY chromosomes, but then like, you know, whatever signals are happening at that point, beeline over to the other path. So um, that's often how it happens. And in my case, um, so I have a slightly different experience than Pigeon and Saifa. Um, so I, their trait, I think, is both um, androgen and sensitivity. And some people find out that they're intersex, um, you know, earlier on, or other people in their lives find out, right? Like adults might find out and conceal that information. Um, but my experience was different. I'm one of those people who found out as a teenager, but I was finding out at the same time that everyone else in my life was finding out, mm. um, which I think was a different experience in the way that, you know, you're treated as mature enough to be like, you have to be in the room to have information because it's the first time that anyone is learning that information. Um, and you're, I, you know, I was, I think 15, 16, um, but it, it's very disorienting because I think at that point, at least I certainly didn't have a sense of the magnitude of how this information is going to affect my entire life. So, for example, when I was 15 or, 15 or 16 and I was about to go on spring break over in high school, um, I, instead of going on spring break, had to have a gonadectomy. So <laughs> um, my case was a little bit different than pigeons and ciphers because for me... Um, they were what are called streak gonads, which means that they were streaky little um, bits of tissue that were never going to make anything. So um, what I was told was that it did make sense to have those out. Um, and I think that that checks for me. But when I did have them out, um, I was told that they were precancerous, which maybe was true. But after having heard all of those stories of other people, like I, I feel very disoriented and sometimes not sure entirely what to believe. Mm. Um, but, you know, I also had the experience of, you know, having surgeries when I was a teenager and like being maybe a little bit more cognizant because I was learning that information at the same time as everyone else. But also the very, very lucky experience of um, there was an annual intersex meetup that happened um, rotating cities. There's a group that puts on an annual conference. And that year that I had the gonadectomy when I was like 15 was in Chicago where I was living and I met Pigeon I think like maybe very shortly after having that gonadectomy and so was sort of immediately put in a context where like I did know other people and I did have this um role model so thanks Pidge shout out but I think you know the things that happened at that point to go through those experiences as a teenager especially when every milestone at that age is again so gendered and so tied to body parts was very disorienting and I think that one you don't realize the lifelong effects of that so if you don't have organs that produce sex hormones for you then that makes you 
dependent on the pharmaceutical industry for those external hormones. And I'm 28 and I have osteopenia now because not having sex hormones affects your bones and it affects so many other parts of your body. But when I was a teenager, the only way that the entire process and everything and all the healthcare was framed to me was you need to develop for your future husband. Literally, that was the focal point of all of the quote unquote care that I was getting. Mm-hmm. And things that that ring with me and that stick in my head, right? Like, we're going to start you on hormones so you can develop for your future husband. I think Pigeon was talking about that, like this mythical future husband that, you know, we're all supposed to have. It turns out I'm very gay. Um, (laughs) But the thing is, it, I think the the message that that sends people since teenagers is that you're not enough and you are your body's ability to be pleasing to your future husband. Right. Mm. And I think I was, I count myself as very lucky that I had like early exposure to other intersex people and pigeon and other folks who were doing this work. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing your story as well. And that is just incredibly disturbing <laughs> that I'm, I'm officially, I mean, obviously all this information is extremely wild, but just the concept of doctors, as we already kind of mentioned, kind of framing your, your all's health in a way that only exists to please someone else and make sure they think that your body and experiences are okay is wildly fucked up. And I am having a lot of trouble with that notion because there are so many doctors in training now that are probably not still getting proper intersex care. Um, Mm. Do you, do you all like have kind of like relationships with people who train physicians and medical schools uh, through your organizations? Like what does that look like if anything? Yeah. So this is Pigeon. Um, I think each each of us has various relationships with various medical schools and, and medical students and also doctors. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what we try to do is get in front of them as much as possible and as early as possible in their medical education uh, years in college and school and residencies and kind of try to share our stories. Mm-hmm. And I know when I share my story and also just general education about what intersex is, I'm lucky to have tools created by Interact, where Hans works, um, such as the medical uh, hospital handbook. I forgot what it's called. but um, hospital, hospital, hospital policy, policy guide. guidebook. Yeah, the hospital policy guidebook created by Interact and Lambda Legal, um, which is this beautiful resource that I could never sit down and make because that's just not like my style. But it says it speaks to clinicians. It's like, what are the protocols you should have? And what right. is informed consent? And what is actually really informed consent? And let's remind you again what informed consent is because y'all don't seem to understand. So <laughs> third time um, now, let's do third it. Time, mm. Third time. Yeah. So I think, I think, yeah. And I think when we speak to younger folks, like younger physicians who are learning and, and, and also some who already are physicians, but they, they have done this research on their own or they've seen a video of ours or they've just learned about intersex some way, somehow, and they've decided to become allies of ours. That's one of the best feelings in the world. Um, so, yeah, I think we have various relation, varying relationships and various relationships with medical providers. There are, of course, the older folks who um, are stuck in their ways and are not so fun to deal with. And that's kind of where 
intersex justice project um puts a lot of our energy into is like um confronting these doctors at their front doors at their hospital in front of their hospitals at their conferences things like that um Saifa did it on tv like went up to a doctor one of his past doctors and confronted him on television on like nbc nightliners something like that like a show like that and I think, you know, that's just part of the tradition of intersex people is we've always been speaking truth to power. And sometimes that's all we have. Like when they've taken so much of our body parts away and so much of our dignity away, the one thing they didn't think to take away was our voice, like our vocal cords, literally. So we have our voice left a lot of times. And that's something that we rely on and continually use and and people are listening, especially the younger medical professionals. Mm. Siphon, Hans, any comments on that? I mean, I agree. I think um, I think when people, when especially a lot of the younger doctors, like a lot of the younger residents, a lot of folks in medical school, folks in training, when they hear our stories, they can't turn away. I think some do. You know, I think some are like, well, you know, this is a disorder and this is how disorders are treated. Um, but I do think that when people of conscious hear what we've been through and what we're asking, because I think what intersex people are asking for is for a consent process, to be involved in our medical care, mm-hmm. to be able to make decisions about our bodies. Um, I think that that's all what we're asking. Um, So I feel like increasingly, you know, I know people close to me, um, like there's this anesthesiologist I know um, who's at Northwestern who is really interested in, you know, doing like almost like a conscientious objection to surgeries on um, intersex young people. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like it's those kind of actions that can help chip away at this establishment that's continuing to harm us. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's really, um, yeah, I, I think sometimes it can feel overwhelming because I think the medical establishment is so well-funded um, and it's deeply entrenched in patriarchy and misogyny mm-hmm. um, because I think what often doesn't come out or what doesn't get expressed um, is often the doctors who are doing these surgeries is their disgust of intersex bodies, you mm-hmm. know? And I think as Hans... Um, can sort of articulate because Hans was very close to um, a lot of the political work, um, the policy work that was done in um, California um, to sort of, you know, provide some resolution around intersex surgeries is that when they get on the stand, when they're actually questioned on their views on intersex people and intersex bodies, all of their bias comes out, Mm. you know? Um, they can't hide their ignorance. They cannot, they cannot, you know? Um, yeah. So, I mean, again, like I think, you know, we've done, and I think Hans can really speak to that, you know, a lot, but I think, you know, groups like IJP and especially Interact has done like so much work, um, to really try to make, um, to work with clinicians and actually, you know, politicize clinicians around, doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. And I think I want to say, Saifa, a lot of 
maybe where we're at now at Interact, which I can speak to, is building on some of the work of the Resolve project. Wasn't that something that you were involved in when you were at Interact? I that sounds familiar, but I don't remember. Because <laughs> so I think, yeah, because I well, because I my understanding because I wasn't there at the organization when this was going on, but the Resolve Apology Project having to do with creating conversations oh, between yes. people and their actors. Yeah. Yes. 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 Demanding an apology, mm-hmm. <laughs> or yeah, asking for an apology. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Yeah. So, I mean, I think we're like, we're building on that kind of work. Right. And I think like organizationally interact is very close to more medical institutions. Like we interface with, with folks a lot. Um, and with our California work, so we passed a resolution in California, um, that was the first resolution, um, basically affirming that intersex people exist and that we do face human rights violations. Mm. Um, by the medical industry. So that passed, but it was a resolution. So it states that, but there's no mechanism yet to enforce um, give, it. give people choices about their own bodies, right? right? To get this informed consent that we really don't think is asking too much. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had a bill in California that did not pass. Um, I can maybe talk a little bit more about that later, but no, you can, you can talk about it now, actually, because we're the next question is about kind of like what harmful laws and policies are in place and kind of what y'all are doing um, in your orgs or other orgs that you know of that are doing things to combat that. So this is a perfect time. Mm. Well, actually, if it's OK, I might want to keep it separate because I think oh, I might okay, be going totally. to like a different tangent. With <laughs> no the, worries. The doctor stuff. But I, I guess what I wanted to say with that was throughout our process doing legislative work in California, we do a lot of talks to med schools, to the young people who are training to become doctors. I actually met my current partner in that way, who's a, who's a oh, student. Um, she's wonderful. And people like her and people like all the med students that we've met um, do really give us a lot of hope because it's the younger folks tend to get it very quickly, right. um, tend to understand consent, tend to understand a lot of the bigger ethical issues before we even start talking about any technical issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but we give a lot of talks there. And when we do, um, one of the things that I really like to focus on is what's in your own school's curriculum, mm-hmm. right? So for example, at Stanford, we sometimes get students who are in genetics and you know, intersex is framed as a disorder. Obviously there, it's still framed that way in a lot of medical places. Um, but seeing how it's framed that way in a lot of top schools curriculum still, how people don't really have any education or touching on this topic generally at all. Um, and what is in their curriculum specifically, right? So if we go to Stanford, if we go to UCSF, we can say, okay, here's the website for your pediatric urology residency program. And they are literally saying on here, like, here are the names of the surgeries that they're learning how to do. And this is exactly what we're talking about. So this is, this is going on everywhere. This is going on in your school. So there are opportunities for these young future medical professionals to really stand up and do the right thing. And we're increasingly seeing that. I, you know, the last talk that I gave, there were folks who were working on petitioning to revamp their, um, intersex curriculum, which they use the old term disorder of sex development, which boo, that's, you know, sort of the pathologizing old medical term, but there's bright young folks who are really interested in 
in helping out and understanding. Um, Stanford's Medical Student Pride Alliance um, did a fundraiser for intersex and trans folks um, last year when we were starting to see all of the all of the administration's sort of like federal push for nonsense on that. And so it is really reassuring. And I do want to say also, like, yes, there are some people who are really digging their heels in. Mm -hmm. I want to believe that that is a minority. I want to believe that that is mainly a certain old guard of mm -hmm. only some subspecialties. The, the people who engage with us and the people who hear our stories, I think, are generally pretty quick to understand the broader ethical issues. Mm hmm. Well, that's really good to hear. Um, that That is very reassuring. And of course, if you're on the ground, you're interacting with these folks. Um, you all are the folks who know best who are interacting. Um, so, okay. So now let's talk about um, laws and policies. So we kind of touched on this a little bit, but... Um, you know, I'm, I'm studying my master's of public health right now at Columbia. And before I started really doing research and kind of interacting with classes that are teaching me these things about, um, about intersex law, like laws essentially that are super harmful, um, I would have no real way of knowing because it doesn't really make, you know, mainstream media all the time. So if y'all know, um, what are some maybe like harmful laws and policies that are currently impacting intersex people, whether that be nationally or in certain states? Um, and what efforts are there to change these horrible laws and policies um, to protect intersex people? I'm going to let Hans talk. Yeah, Hans, go first. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, I am the person who works for policy organizations. So, <laughs> <fair>. um, <laughs> so I, I mean... So we talked about, there's kind of two, two aspects. So there's laws and policies that we're trying to pass that are affirming and mm -hmm. good um, for, about intersex rights. And there are laws and policies that are, you know, all kinds of nonsense that people are trying to put through. And one of the things that I think about is intersex people, like, e like even when we're discriminated against, it's generally by accident. Like, <laughs> I think, you know, there's not... What we're seeing right now is sort of a renewed wave of gender essentialism from this current federal administration. So there's a lot of pushing of the idea that, you know, your gender is your body parts. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times that is very focusing on scapegoating transgender youth as kind of like a target for enforcing this idea. Right. Mm -hmm. Like we want to enforce the idea that gender is your body parts. So we're going to um, promote these bills that are sort of chipping away at that with a target of transgender youth. Um, so we're seeing it in a lot of places, right? We're seeing like sex testing in sports. Um, Idaho, just a bill just passed both houses in Idaho um, that basically says if someone suspects that a child's sex, like a young athlete has their sex or gender in question, that they can like report that person and then subject them to sex testing, like chromosomal or genital examinations. What? Yeah. And, and so that is, you know, to target, you know, quote unquote, fairness in sports, you know, with transgender, mainly to target transgender athletes. But we often see that intersex gets swept up in the sort of anti-transgender discrimination measures mm -hmm. um, a lot of the time. And, you know, it, it sucks. It's absolutely unacceptable and it's dangerous for everyone. So right. I really like the way that um, there's an ACLU attorney, Chase Strangio, who frames it as, you know, yes, we're using transgender and sometimes intersex populations to scapegoat these issues. But I think broadly what's happening is that we're trying to 
they're trying to come back to gender essentialism, right? Like to use these groups to enforce the idea that there are certain ways that people are supposed to be, there are certain ways that bodies are supposed to be, and that has to be policed by some authority. And we see this in the anti-medical care bills. So South Dakota, multiple other states, I want to say between five and eight states, like a, not, a large number of states, are trying to get bills to deny healthcare that is gender affirming to transgender minors. Mm -hmm. And increasingly what we're seeing is exemptions written into those bills. So we cannot, you know, allow transgender minors to change their bodies, but we also can't allow intersex minors to keep theirs. So there's exemptions being written into these bills that if a child has a quote unquote verifiable disorder, meaning intersex, that it's okay to actually do the most invasive medical interventions to make sure that they're changed. So we're seeing medical care bills, we're seeing um, sex testing bills, we're seeing questions of what is covered under sex discrimination. Um, so especially under this administration, it is a serious time <laughs> mm-hmm. for, you know, not only intersex and transgender people, but also, you know, all people are affected by, can be affected by sex discrimination and how we define these things. Right. Absolutely. Any comments, Saifa and Pigeon? I mean, I think Hans did an amazing job of breaking it down. Um, you know, I just think right now there's just, I think what kind of gets on my nerves, like hardcore, is that a lot of this anti-trans legislation is using language that actually harms intersex people. So by that, I mean, you know, here I live in Georgia um, and Representative Jenny Earhart um, is, you know, a state senator here, and she was trying to pass anti-trans legislation, but when I looked at the language of the bill, it was actually speaking about what happens to intersex kids, Mm. right? So they're alleging that all of these things are happening to trans kids, which is not true. It's not forced sterilization. It's not, um, you know, it's not sort of like... um, like exploitation by like doctors, doctors abusing their power. That's not happening (laughs) to trans kids, but that actually is happening to intersex kids. Um, And I think they're able to use this language because people don't know, like a lot of the mainstream public and society doesn't know about what happens to intersex kids. Mm. Um, And so that they're able to sort of push through this anti-trans legislation on the backs of intersex people and intersex children, which is like so diabolical to me. It's just, I just really mind boggling. Um, so I think in moments like that, you know, I, I think I just get so angry because I think it shows that there is, at least on a state level, there's an awareness of what's happening to intersex kids because in these anti-trans bills, they're making very specific exclusion around what happens to kids who have intersex variations. Mm -hmm. So it proves that on some level that they're doing their research and they could provide protections for intersex kids and they're choosing not to. Mm. I think what that makes me realize is, or it makes me think about Saifa is like, what would that, I wonder what that person, did you say Congresswoman or Senator in Georgia? Um, Yeah, uh, I think Senator, but Sen- okay, let's- Congressperson, just that. Uh, just be general. <laughs> that I wonder what the uh, politician. But she's a state rep. She's a state rep. 
I wonder what the estate rep would say to someone like you or like a young version of you who's both trans and intersex and both has elected to have surgeries done to affirm your sur- your gender right? and also had surgeries forced upon you that robbed you of your autonomy. Right. So where do people like you fit into her worldview? Mm. I just think it just shows the hypocrisy and the lunacy, not the lunacy, but the... I think that shows the all, everything that what Hans was talking about and what you just shared is like showing the like the house of cards that gender is built on and how wobbly and biological sex and how wobbly that house of cards is mm. and how it doesn't really have a foundation <laughs> and the fact that there's laws trying to prevent um certain people from getting gender affirming surgeries done and there's now laws about whatever like they're doing to the athletes and then mm-hmm. the laws with intersex people that they're trying to keep all it does is prove that gender is not binary and either is sex it's just codifying into law into the books mm-hmm. that there is so much variation or as Han says creativity <laughs> uh, in biological sex and gender and it's just a natural way of being and like there's just people that can't can't deal with it and they have they they tend to try to use the power that they have legislatively and 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 in other ways to to erase to, to quote unquote to try to erase that uh, creativity right. and it just ends up proving the fact that we exist and that we and when I say we I mean everybody that is under the trans and the intersex and the non-binary and the gender non-conforming in any way and sex non-conforming body people like everybody that just there's this whole world of people this whole population of people in all countries across all cultures across all periods of time it just proves that we exist and yeah (laughs) it's just it just makes me um makes me furious yeah super angry definitely there's a lot of work um that obviously folks like you and other folks and organizations are doing constantly to change these things and there's also a lot more work that needs to be done um by folks who have you know social capital and kind of means to be able to to protest and um really call representatives and do social media campaigns like there's just still so much work that needs to be done um that's true but um something that actually i wanted to bring up that i wanted to get y'all's like opinions on and i'm curious is about media so like i'm definitely a media person um really love tv film all of those things and i feel like the first time that i interacted with the concept of being intersex or just intersex people was in an episode of Freaks and Geeks, which I'm sure y'all have heard. The of. last episode, yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm curious if you all have seen other media um, that have represented intersex people in a positive, real way. Um. Yes. So I saw that episode of Freaks and Geeks and I was so mad that the show didn't continue after that because (laughs) I really liked that show. And and then like the first time I think that was probably the first time I seen myself 
I actually didn't even get to see myself because it was like a character off screen, wasn't it? Like it was a main yeah. character's girlfriend it was supposedly like Seth had Rogen's, like new Seth band Rogen's, geek girlfriend. Yes, band geek girlfriend who like you hear about having this thing that if you're intersex and you have androgen sensitivity syndrome, you picked up on it right away. You're like, oh my god, that's intersex. This person has what I have, right? They're mm-hmm. talking about it. They're not saying this person's intersex. They're saying that they're they're describing this person like the way that this this person is right and you instantly are like oh my god that's me mm-hmm. and then the, sh- the show gets canceled and it's <laughs> no. like god damn it that's like that's like every intersex <laughs> it's like you're it's like my it's like intersex people's life right like you have these hopes for things like oh maybe like this bill will get passed to protect intersex people and then it gets canceled like it's just like right. that's what we get a lot so that was really sad for me with the media piece was like I loved that show and then there was this Oh my God, there's this maybe this intersex character and then it got canceled. Right. So the first other positive um, experience with media was when I was actually working at Interact. And Hans, were you part of Interact at that point? Um, when which I was thing like, are you talking about? The, um, what's that show on MTV? Faking, Faking it? it? Yeah. I was not there at that point. I think I was a youth member, but I definitely wasn't working there. Okay. No, but you were a youth member. That's what I was wondering. Yeah, that was about when I came in, I think. Okay, so yeah. when I was working at Interact, I was the youth leadership coordinator, and uh, Hans was one of the young people there at the in the group. And MTV approached us and wanted to write a character into a new show called Faking It, and and they wanted to do it right, so they contacted the interse- intersex organization wow, called no Interact. MTV. So MTV, you know, blah, 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 hit us up. And the young people got to formulate, young intersex people, I forgot to say, all intersex youth, got to formulate a character that was going to be on MTV. And How powerful. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, again, like right when her character actually started to get some like... <laughs> some more speaking parts and more screen time and become like a more developed character the show got canceled um but that was for me like the not only the first like positive representation of intersex people on tv but or in the media there may have been some before that but this is like the this stands out to me because intersex people had a role in um developing that character Mm -hmm. and so I think that was just really powerful and really amazing for a lot of young people in the group to see, like, to watch that show and then to be like, damn, I had a hand in the positive messaging around this intersex character because up until that point, all I know of intersex characters being is usually on medical shows like um, Grey's Anatomy or things like that, like shows that are about hospital settings and doctors. And we are just this like curious curiosity or freak um, character that's usually nameless. They're just like a patient who has this like crazy thing about their body. And oh my God, isn't this shocking and disgusting and weird and OMG, OMG. But this is the first time like an intersex character was just a person Mm -hmm. before they were the intersex, the intersex, before the intersex parts about them were, talked about for like a lot of that show you don't know they're intersex they're just this like this character right and then it then it gets revealed and I think that's that's really amazing and so for me in media that was 
that was a big moment for me. And I'll say one more other thing is there's this film called. Okay, I could talk about Mini all day. I've made two documentaries. <laughs> I love films. Um, but there's this film called XXY. It's an Argentinian film. Um, and um, and it's a it's a narrative and it's a feature and the character is intersex and it's this really a slow paced kind of intimate portrait of a family dealing with their young child growing being in like the puberty age and being intersex mm. and and not having had surgery done to their body so they are visibly um they're visibly intersex and they are visibly quote unquote ambiguous in terms of their gender and their body and their biological sex and so i remember watching that in the theater i don't have a good memory but this is something that i remember exact theater where i was it's a small theater on fullerton avenue surprisingly down the street from the hospital I went to my whole life um but anyways I bawled my eyes out and there's a scene where there's two amazing scenes in that film well there's three one is that there's this this there's this doctor who's pressuring the family to do surgery like a family friend they're like you know you really got to do this like the kid's getting older like she can't go on like this having an enlarged clitoris basically and the, the, the parents, you see their love for the child and just, like, not, they're grappling with it. And they're like, I don't really know. Like, I really don't think this is true. Like, what we should be, I don't think this is what we should do. And then there's this other, so I think that's really beautiful to see family, like, trying to, like, understand and, like, mm. not just cave into, like, pressure from medical authorities about these unnecessary surgeries. And then there's, like, another scene that really stuck out to me was um, the character... <laughs> She's raised as a female or a girl, and she is, like, I don't know if she has a crush on this, like, male character, this boy that's at the house. And she ends up having sex with him, and but she's on top of him. He's laying on his stomach, and she's on top of him, penetrating him with her intersex genitalia. You don't see the genitalia, but, like, you know that she's on top, and she's the one penetrating him. And... It's something I, to this day, I've never seen in film or media. And that was such a powerful moment for me. Like, to see sex outside of, like, like a sex act outside of anything I've seen before and still to this day was so profound for me as an intersex person who would have had a similar body to this person had they not done surgery to me. Um, and the third thing that left me in tears and hyperventilating and like probably having a panic attack in the theater was a scene where kids young people in her beach town of Argentina find out that she's has this body that's intersex that's different than other people and they attempt to rape her on the beach or attempt to rape them I don't know what pronouns they use but um and I think that's that hit me because I grew up with this fear of people finding out about me and had to like hide everything from everyone, including my boyfriend. And I think once I found out I was intersex, I then had the fear of people finding out so much more about me. Hmm. And I don't know, just that scene of an intersex person getting raped or attempting almost people attempting to rape them just for having like a body that they were born with. I mean, there's so many other reasons why people are raped, but 
in that scene, it just really hit me. Um, it made me feel so much pain for intersex people and myself and um, for the shame that we've had to like carry and then the fear we have to carry about, you know, people finding out because I guess, you know, there's, there's people finding out and then there's the other end of that extreme where people might want to hurt you or harm you if they find out, which is what you see happening to trans women and trans people. Um, is like when people clock them, they get, some people become irate and then they hurt them or they kill them. And so you don't really see that as much or hear about that as much with intersex people, but it was in this film and it was, it was interesting. Um, I think, I think they, I think, Sadly, they shouldn't have really focused on people in the community harming that intersex person. They probably should have focused on doctors doing the harm because mm. we are often vulnerable not to our community. I mean, actually, a lot of us are, actually. if you, The people I've grown with in community, I've learned that actually a lot of intersex people are, are super vulnerable to childhood sexual abuse, um, not just from doctors, but from, like, people older older folks are in the in their life but um another main source of our harm is actually doctors and i wish that and i'm not just saying like unnecessary surgeries but i'm saying like sexual abuse stuff happens to people that are intersex from our physicians so i kind of wish that was explored because when you illustrate on a film that you know if you have this different body and people find out they're going to hurt you so why don't so that becomes fuel for the doctor's argument that we need to normalize you so you're not sad and also that you're not rejected by the community. So that I didn't really know that in that moment. I was just bawling and freaking out because I was so sad for like the young person, mm -hmm. but the young person inside of me. And like, but looking pulling back from that, I wish they explored more. So, anyways, those are some film or some media moments for me and um and yeah i think a lot of us are waiting for intersex people to have more of a moment in media um than we currently have had even though it's, it's been actually we've had a lot um but we still need like you said there's so much work to do we still need so much more me uh, exposure in the media Yes, absolutely. Wow. Thank you so much. You clearly have thought about that film so much and analyzed it. And I really appreciate getting to hear your thought process. Um, that was You're awesome. Um, for the purposes of time, I recognize that we're a little bit over. Um, we do have like one and a half to two more questions. If y'all have like 10 more minutes. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. I don't want to uh, take up more of your time but this has been such an awesome and rich conversation so i super appreciate you being here all i have is time right now <laughs> uh, yeah right we're all just like all well, let me just go hang do. out with my cat after this and just be <laughs> yes. inside um okay so the the next question unless uh saifa and hans did you want to share media kind of moments or did you just want to go on to the next question about resources yeah. okay can please. i just jump in just right quick please. um i think um, I, I was thinking about, I'm, you know, I'm still waiting for that media representation because I just feel like, you know, as a person of color, as a black person, the representations of intersex are largely white 
It's not very diverse. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it made me think about um, this movie that's being uh, directed um, by Saul Williams. Um, he's a spoken word artist, raised a bunch of money on a Kickstarter for this intersex film, um, which is dope. Like, the main character is intersex. Um, and he's actually, I think, in Rwanda or in a location, I forgot which African country, um, which I think would be amazing. But then I spoke to someone who's connected with him. And I was like, before he started this project, I'm like, has he spoken to intersex people? Like, question mark. Um, right. And I'm like, you know, again, like, I think I don't know if he has or not, but I do think like because we're still a very marginal community, I think people just sort of overlook. Like, I think because trans is more visible, Mm -hmm. people have more of an awareness of trans. To do a trans, it's not the days where you can have, like, trans representation without trans input. Mm -hmm. But now, like, if you're going to do anything trans-related, to not have trans people would be a crime, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And I feel like we're still in the early days of people creating these intersex narratives without the input of intersex people. Mm-hmm. And I do, I do think we do have examples like Pigeon was saying of like faking it and increasingly more people seeking intersex input. But I think we need more of that, especially in media. Totally. Yeah. I would love to share too. Please. If we time. But yeah, I, I mean, yeah, everything that Pigeon and Saifa said was spot on. I think like Pigeon said, we're often either a punchline or a plot twist. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, other people get to write about that without consulting us at this point, you know, or, but, you know, I do a lot of sensitivity readings. I do a lot of like consulting type work where I see a lot of non-intersex people who are writing intersex characters. And you You do that. I do. Yeah. And you know, you doing the Lord's work. I draw all those DMs and emails uh, every day. I mean, like, okay, if they want to pay intersex people, like, okay. I oh, will... they're paying. Okay, good. That's yeah. good. Right, right. No, yeah. No, like, I will read your screenplay, like, <laughs> before it goes out into the world. But, uh, you know, what I will say is you know, there are many sensitive and well-meaning creators out there. It's also the best when we get to do it ourselves, mm-hmm. especially because it's just such an early time for representation for intersex people that like we want our shot first I feel like sometimes I I feel like stuck in that feeling um but there are creators who are starting to to do that I think you know I gotta mention our friend River Gayo who's the first intersex person to write and create um a film an intersex narrative Pony Boy their film project and there's many intersex people who are making awesome documentaries about their lives, including, you know, Pigeon and Saifa and um, Tatenda Nguaru, um, another activist friend who has a documentary called She's Not a Boy. Um, there's also XY the Musical. Um, oh, there's an hell inter- yeah, there's a musical? Uh, yeah, that we, you know, Interact's been consulting on. So, you know, we're, we're starting to get there and, pe- you know, more intersex people are starting to be able to create their own work. Um, but I think I agree with Pigeon in like earlier, you know, in my life feeling frustrated with either only ever being like a very rare punchline or plot twist, or I think my experience was very much like looking for representation where it wasn't super explicit, but there were some things that I would watch and be like, oh, wow, this really feels like it's intersex, even though they didn't explicitly say anything or I identify with this. Like there was a character in a Netflix show from Japan called My Husband Won't Fit, um, who is a woman who is having trouble having sex because her body was different. 
Um, and likewise, there was a similar scene in the recent show Sex Education, where there's a beautiful queer couple who's... Um, oh, really? Yeah, who's trying to have sex, um, but the one, you know, their body can't do the penetrative sex. And so I know that sometimes it's established, but these stories are often about like vaginismus, for example. But mm -hmm. I still feel like for me, those are the realist. Wait, like, what did you say? Vaginismus? <laughs> vaginismus. So it's a oh. condition where, yeah, right, where like the muscles like kind of freeze up for anybody mm -hmm. who has a vagina. So that's not like explicitly intersex, but I feel like there's so many parallels in those mm -hmm. stories that like I just just look at those and be like, wow, I feel seen by this, even though it's not explicitly. Totally. Like, I feel more seen by that than by most non-intersex <laughs> who are trying to write intersex. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, also just sex education is such a phenomenal show. Highly recommend. Um, definitely. Yeah. It's just incredible. Have you all seen both seasons? I couldn't get through it. I watched like one episode. I was bored. Oh, you didn't like it? Uh, I think it picks, it picks up. I I'm think a big... so too. Nah, I don't do shows that pick up. Like I don't do that. Like I, I need, <laughs> need it to, to like hit me. Yeah, like uh, everyone tells me like, oh, this picks up. This picks up. Like I don't got the focus for that. Like no, That's like it. you need There's to like hit me in there, the gut. You, know, you do whatever. But Game of Thrones though, Arya and Sansa, Game of Thrones. <laughs> You know, it took. You know, I'm still on season five. Like, and it, the show's been done for how long? Like, I'm just like. There's still time. Game of Thrones. The first episode hits me. I don't know why people say it doesn't, but when they kill that little child or throw him off the damn ledge, that that hits me. You know. Mm. Um. No, but like, yeah, I don't know. This is like a a feeling I get from shows right away, and I'm like, no, nah, it's not my show. But like. Sorry, but End of the Fucking Worlds, don't put this in the podcast, is a great show. Like, I don't know why it reminds me of that show. Oh, that I think was good. Like British. That's, that that's shit good. hits me, that was right? Good. So like, sucks at education. I'm like, mm, kind of bored. All right. You do you. No, no, uh, no judgments. Thank um, you. Okay. I appreciate so, it, y'all. So, Saifa, have you seen it? No. Okay. I knew. I have a feeling. I'm glad. Me and uh -huh. <laughs> All right, let's get into, um, let's talk about some resources for intersex people who are seeking support and community. So, Pigeon, we'll have you go first. Mm. I just put a fig newton in my mouth. Right. Um, <laughs> so, there is, well, okay, there is or we can a few resources. No, no, there's a few resources. One being, um, if you're younger, like then, you know what? I'll let Hans talk about that one. That one's interact. Um, I don't know. There, there's this, it's hard. It's hard. It really depends on like who you are, what your age is. Are you a parent? Are you a young intersex person? Do you want to oh, do activism? Do you just want support? Okay, maybe do you need a doctor? <laughs> like there's so much like, different things that's fair um specifically so, for, for support and community let's talk about okay well the only you know the, my favorite is interact but i'm gonna let hans talk about that um and then the other one would be this like support group called did they change their name yet you guys aisdsd they are they? working on changing it as far as i know i think they're gonna they're going towards interconnect oh wow God, that sounds horrible. I know. Reason. One bad name to another. No shade. <laughs> but all shade, just, no shade. <laughs> it's better than AISDSD. But um, so yeah. there's a support group, y'all. If you're listening and you're intersex and you're um needing support, just like you know, peer-to-peer -peer support, wanting to meet other intersex people and also have resources and community. Um, check out online, Google 
the letters A I S like Sam, D like dog, S D like dog. Okay, so A I S D S D. Look that up and then put the word support group after that. And then reach out to that support group and let them know you're seeking um, support. If this is played in the future, they might now be called interconnect, but just Google AISDSD because you could probably still find them even if they change their name. Um, and don't be deterred by the name because even though it's called AISDSD, you don't have to have AIS, which is androgen sensitivity syndrome, to join the group. You can have any range of intersex variations, which there's over 25 of them or more. Um, so that's a really great landing spot for a lot of just like a general support group. If you're younger than 30 or 32, hit up Interact and I'll let Hans talk about that. Um, Interact is for younger intersex people and they also have like an advocacy um, and activism angle and education angle. So I really love Interact as well for young people. And they have two, um, you know what, I'm talking about it. So I'll just go on. They have two, two um, containers. One is called iSpace and it's on Facebook. It's a Facebook group that's public. Um, I, I don't think like, like you can publicly find it, but the messages and everything is private and the members are private. So look up the word iSpace. It's like the letter I and then space. Um, and you can join, you can request to join, and then you could just meet other young intersex people all over the world. And then if you want, you can kind of graduate from that container to interact, which is like more advocacy-based group of young people doing work together. Um, so those are my three favorite resources, I would say, uh, for intersex people. And yeah, I'm, and there's so many more, so I would love for everyone else to jump in. Awesome. Yeah, I don't know if we're keeping our order. Do you have anything to nah, add? Nah, go ahead, huh? Yeah, going off of what Pigeon was saying, I think, you know, intersex community is even still, you know, we're smaller and we're growing and we're emerging, but it is still, I would say, like pretty word of mouth. Um, and we're trying to change that and start finding more like publicly searchable ways to connect with each other. Um, so yeah, what Pigeon mentioned, um, the groups that Interact runs, um, iSpace, which is publicly searchable, and um, Interact Youth, which is our advocacy group. So those you can both find through the Interact website or by searching iSpace on Facebook. I'm going to plug also, um, there's a couple of other Facebook groups that are publicly searchable. Um, I can see how it would be difficult for someone who you know, didn't already know someone in the intersex community to find people. Um, but some of the other groups that are publicly searchable, um, there's a publicly searchable group called Intersex Fam, which is intersex people and allies. Um, oh. And there's also a group <laughs> called <laughs> Intersex Support for Parents, um, which is more parents oriented. But I would suggest finding one of the publicly searchable groups and then starting from there to find more specific or local people. Amazing. Yeah. Saifa, so anything to add? I think between these two, yeah, just definitely there's a lot of resources already out there. I don't want to bombard folks. <laughs> okay, perfect. Okay, so Pigeon, I want to ask you, you mentioned a little bit earlier that you wanted to talk about the coronavirus and urology. Please take it away. So, yes, thank you. Um, as your viewers may not know, uh, the doctors, the specialists who do the surgeries to intersex kids, the medically unnecessary 
surgeries to intersex kids um, are generally urologists. So they're trained in the field of urology and um, they're like my most, un- my, they're my, my least favorite physicians in the world. Um, but I was thinking a lot about intersex and, and, and intersex people and the skills that we have as it relates to the coronavirus, which is like currently sweeping the nation on tour. And one of the things I was thinking about is how a lot of the skills that we've had to um, figure out and learn are very useful right now during this like coronavirus epidemic or pandemic, one being um, online community. So we, as intersex people, we make up about roughly 2% of the population and th- those of us who even know we're intersex and are also out about being intersex are few and far between. So from the early 90s, our community has always existed like over the phone, over email. Then it was Yahoo groups back in the day. Now it's Facebook groups and online and texting and Skype and phone calls and video chat. So, And then once in a while, we get together in person. It's very rare for intersex people to have ever been in a room with more than two intersex people in the room. It's very rare. When I give talks, people come up to me sometimes and tell me in tears that I'm the first other intersex person they've ever been around in their life or known at least, you know? Mm. So we've always, since the early nineties have like had the online community thing on lockdown. Right. So I just think that that's something we can learn from the intersex community. And also deeper than that is like having to build community as a, not just a source of community, but as a source of like a pool of resources and knowledge, because We have always known that we can't trust those that we're supposed to trust, i.e. our doctors and physicians and the people who are supposed to be in charge, leadership, right? Or sometimes our parents, sometimes our parents are like lying to us, you know, and a lot of times our parents are not doing it on purpose. Like sometimes doctors give them misinformation, Mm -hmm. but we grew up knowing and we've learned as a community that we have to seek out the truth for ourselves. And so you see that like, in January, the leadership of this country knew about the coronavirus, right? And knew that there were certain steps and measures that they needed to put in place to take care of the population. When it, And instead, they didn't do that. They lied and said it's a hoax. They said it's um, there's a miraculous... Uh, <laughs> That our president said he has a, uh, like, I forgot what he said, but he's just like, my uncle was very, yeah, some bullshit. He's like, my uncle was a really smart doctor. And that means, and that's why I just, I understand it. Like, I'm just so good at understanding this. And basically there's a cure around the corner and blah, 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 blah. So there were all this misinformation being um, put out uh, by the people that we were supposed to trust and be, and supposed to be leaders. And so Intersex people have a very intimate knowledge of that. Like the people that are supposed to first do no harm, the people that are supposed to care for us are actually the people that have always been harming us. And so we have this like innate distrust of of medical professionals and things that are told about that are told to people about um, about, you know, physical health and whatever. So we we have this like this the skill of being like a, a bullshit meter and being like, huh, I don't think that's right. So so what people have been doing in response to Corona is like what intersex people have always been doing, which is forming online community and forming mutual aid networks and um, and 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 de- deciphering and decoding 
what the leadership is actually saying, what the doctors on TV are saying, you know, of the Trump administration and, and, and parsing through all that and then actually getting to the truth below that and becoming as well educated, if not more than the people that are supposed to actually, this was supposed to be their jobs. Right. Mm. And so I think there's just a lot that, um, we as a community and society can learn from the intersex community right now during this like crisis or pandemic. And, um, the whole thing about the urologist is that I was on Twitter two days ago and this doctor, this urologist that I, I follow some of the urologists because I like to stay afloat of my enemies and like know what they're talking about. And she put this meme up that said, like, let me think what it said. Did you, Hans, did you see it or Saifa? Are you talking about the one? I retweeted it. With the, like, since all available doctors are being called yes. in to Corona-related things? That yes, one? it was like, it was like, okay, if you don't stay home and self-quarantine and the, the hospital system becomes overwhelmed with patients, then you're going to have a urologist treating you and you don't want oh, that Jesus. to happen. And there was like a picture oh, of a wow. urologist putting on like rubber gloves. And so this person who has not been harmed by urologists in her life, it was just like a joke, like stay your ass home and like heed the warnings because you don't want like other specialists who don't know what they're doing right. with epidemiology to be treating you. But as an intersex person, <laughs> I was so mad at that. I was just like, girl, you, I, I wrote, I am literally so triggered right now. And like, I was not literally triggered, but like, I was just like pointing out to like, to, to some, to a physician that's herself. She doesn't understand. Like, that's not a joke to intersex people. <laughs> like right. if I go in for coronavirus and a urologist touches me, I literally will be triggered. I literally will have a panic attack. Like I will probably run out of that room and, 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 and just like cry and not let them touch me. So, um, that was just my little story and my segue into um, how the world can learn a lot from intersex people because we got to be really strong. We got to be really resilient right now. We got to really take care of each other. We got to really dig for the truth. We got to come together and find out like our ways, our, our way, ways to survive. And that's what intersex people have been always doing. It's what we're really good at. And, um, and yeah, so hello. <laughs> Thank and you. goodbye. Thank you for that story. Um, <laughs> yes. Wow. That's really wild. Um, okay. So last thing, um, I would love for kind of like a final, um, you know, your last takeaway, um, regarding, um, intersex folks, intersex experiences, obviously speaking from your own experience, but, um, if there's like one thing that you wish folks, uh, who are listening took from this episode, um, about intersex people, um, what would you want that message to be? Um, hey, are you mind if I jump in? Please, Please go ahead. Um, I would just invite people to get really curious um, because I think we've been handed this lie called the gender binary. And I think people... I think sometimes people like I talk, the more I talk to my friends um, and I tell, you know, just have conversations around biology and gender, like my femme friends, my mass friends, you know, masculine of center folks, the more people are like, you know, they, they feel comfortable telling me like, oh, I had this hormonal issue or I had this something issue and then I'm like yo that could be intersex right 
And they they kind of dismiss it because they're like, well, it's almost like I'm not like you. Like, mm. I didn't have surgery when I was younger. Um, and I think there's this narrative, this this um, this narrative that has been helpful, right? Because I feel like in any movement, we always have to center the most vulnerable among us, right? Like in a trans movement, like centering Black trans women and legible trans women and trans women who are being discriminated against because they're perceived as trans, I think it's important for any movement to center the most marginalized. Um, and so I feel like for intersex folks, um, I think it's important to center the people who are harmed by the medical establishment because of how they look and how their body responds to certain hormones. But that's not the, the crux of the intersex experience. Like our bodies are many and our bodies are buried. And I, and I, I'm really committed to having a very expansive conversation about what intersex is you know, that removes us out of the gaze of the medical establishment and that actually creates a definition on our own terms where we can where we can define who's intersex and who's not and where people can define who's intersex and who's not, you know, uh, while also maintaining and seeking justice for people who have been harmed, right? Um, so I think, you know, for me, at the very bottom line, I want to have more expansive conversations around what intersex is and what it could be. Something that I think about a lot is questioning how sometimes social differences are made into medical problems, right? Mm. And who draws that line and who, you know, calls that shot. So I think a lot of communities struggle with this. Intersex people struggle with being made into, you know, a disorder, um, I think disability rights teaches us a lot about this, um, autistic folks, all kinds of different communities um, that are just speaking for different human experiences that have been sort of pathologized or made into medical problems, right? So we look at gay people being considered a psychological disorder, trans people being considered a psychological disorder, right? Um, it just, I think a lot of what I've learned is questioning um, what is medicalized and what is a disorder and what is not and who is trying to sell it that way. Amazing. Thank you so much. Oh, I thought of it. Okay. So the thing I wanted to say is, so for a while now, we've been talking about the surgeries that happen, which is, you know, the, the main oppression that intersect, well, one of the main forms of oppression intersex people experience are these unnecessary genital surgeries and surgeries on our reproductive organs and forced hormones. Um, we've talked about this as like intersex genital mutilation as like an umbrella term to describe these, this range of things that happen to us and experiences. Um, but we've, I've learned and we've learned and kind of reflected and realized like that's not really helping. Um, when you say female genital mutilation, someone, people have an instant image in their head um, of black and brown people, mostly Middle Eastern and people in African countries um, doing FGM and experiencing it. And they, here in the U.S., they're, they're able to, to say, that's, that's bad and that should end. And you see a lot of, you see a lot of people like, like supporting that, the ending of FGM. So intersex people were like, hello, we're right here in your backyard and this is happening to us every day in your own city in your own country. Um, and it's called intersex, 
intersex genital mutilation. Um, it's the same thing, you know, like, can't you guys understand this? Like, do you, do you want to like care about us too, please? And nobody, and not that nobody, but it just, it didn't catch on like FGM did for people. Mm. And um, I think what I want to leave folks with is to, if they can understand that one, it, what happens to us is mutilation, it's genital mutilation, but it's also, and I think some of us are transitioning to this framework, it's, it's also a form of um, conversion therapy. So a lot of people in the US, if you poll them, will say conversion therapy for gay and LGBTQ youth is, is, is totally bad and wrong and it should be banned. So we're trying to get folks now to understand that inter intersex people experience conversion therapies and the conversion therapies are trying to convert an intersex person into a non-intersex person via unnecessary medical surgery, AKA intersex genital mutilations, and also the removal of reproductive organs and putting us on hormones to align with the sex and gender that they have decided for us. And so all of this should be thought of as conversion therapies and we can just call them intersex conversion therapies. And I just want folks to know that intersex uh, conversion therapies are, are completely unnecessary, they're harmful, they produce more harm than any good that can come from them when you don't allow the person involved <laughs> to make the decisions about their, to have a role in the decision-making about their bodies, something as intimate as their genitalia and reproductive organs. And since this is a sex ed podcast, like eventually it's gonna, uh, it's gonna be about uh, how that person can engage sexually with other people. So these decisions need to really be centered and come from the intersex person, period. And there's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. And so when you hear a doctor or a parent that's not intersex make an argument that intersex conversion therapies are very um, necessary and important to do to young intersex kids when they're young so they can grow up quote-unquote normal and have a normal relationship when they're older, Remember and know in the back of your head, normal is always coded. And in this argument, it's coded for heterosexual and, and, and cisgender. And we can never be cisgender. I mean, I, I personally believe we're never, we're, we're intersex. We're never going to fit anyone's definition of cisgender. I mean, people can identify as cis as they want, if they want to. But um, we should just be allowed to be intersex in all of our excellence and glory of being intersex. And these conversion therapies that are trying to make children, quote unquote, cisgender and normal and heterosexual are horrible and need to end. And that's why we use the hashtag end intersex surgery with our work as Intersex Justice Project. And we're not saying like end the surgeries that are elected by intersex adults who want them and willingly, we're saying end the surgeries, end the conversion therapies that are forced on young children and not and not um and don't take into consideration the voice and autonomy of the actual intersex person who would be affected by the surgeries. And so that's how, you know, that's what I want to leave people with. Ever wish you had an exact replica of your gorgeous parts? Well, now you can make one yourself, thanks to Clonawilly. Clonawilly and Clonapussy are DIY molding kits that allow anyone to make an exact replica of any penis or vulva at home into a high-quality sex toy or memento. Use promo code SEXED20 for 20% off your purchase at www.clonawilly.com. 
Follow them on Instagram at clonawillykit. Did you know May is National Masturbation Month? It's time to celebrate with the Oh My G for Myoba Toys. The Oh My G is the first ever super silent G-spot massager sex toy created for women and people with vulvas who have roommates, kids, or just hate the noise of other sex toys. The Oh My G has three pulse levels, a vibrating pearl at the top and a very sleek C-shaped design. Through the month of May, the Oh My G is just $99 head over to www.iobatoys.com to purchase. FemFun is a family-owned and operated brand of adult pleasure products centered around the belief that all intimate curiosities and fantasies should be explored with full confidence. With that in mind, and a mission to break sex toy taboos, they launched a movement coined Fempowerment, committing to the human desire to explore new experiences. Embrace the vibrations. Use promo code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off your purchase at www.femfun.com. That's www.femmefunn.com. Follow them on IG at FemFun. Our creator, co-producer, sound engineer, and host is me, Danielle Bezalel, a.k.a. DB. Our co-producer and communications lead is Catherine Cohen. Our main logo and banner graphic were created by Andrea Forgotch. Our music theme is by Hook Sounds. Our ad music is by my stepdad, Bill Gant. Thank you so much to our featured guests, partners, and our listeners. If you're interested in advertising with us, email us at sexedwithdb at gmail.com. For more sex ed content, follow us on Insta at sexedwithdbpodcast. Tune in next time. <laughs>